You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This is the Marketing Podcast Network. Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create. We learn what motivates them, their path to success, and what fuels them to keep creating. It all starts by asking one simple question. Where does your story begin? Welcome to Uncorking a Story. Now here's your host, Mike Carlin. Well, hello and welcome to Uncorking a Story. I'm your host, Mike Carlin, and today I'm excited to introduce you to Sarah Staggs. Sarah was a civil litigator in Portland, Oregon. Two brain surgeries were successful at limiting the severity of her seizures, which can now be controlled with medication and proper self-care. She had to close her law practice and bid farewell to that chapter of her life for good. But for Sarah, writing was the next frontier. She's contributed to several publications, including the Huffington Post, Flash Fiction Magazine, in parentheses Literary Journal, Five Minute Lit, and Tiny Seed Literary Journal, Literary Journals. Wow, that's a mouthful. She joins me today to talk about her debut novel, Uncontrollable, which has been called an inspirational story of a woman whose life is derailed by something out of her control and how she chooses to face the life on her terms, abandoning what she once dreamed she could be. That sounds like uh, it could be based in some reality, but to talk about that uh, is Sarah Staggs. Welcome to Uncorking Your Story, Sarah. Hi, thank you for having me today. I'm happy to have you. And, and Sarah, I'm going to ask you the question I ask all of my authors, which is where does your story as an author begin? My story as an author really begins after my second brain surgery. So I'd kept a journal in the hospital for both of my brain surgeries. And when I came home, I was in a pretty bad headspace. Some of the pre-surgical workups for brain surgery can be very intense and traumatizing. So I used writing as a method of therapy. And then I looked at what I'd written and I thought, well, what if I knit these together with some fictional characters and backstories? I wonder if these medical scenes could be part of a journal or of a novel. And I couldn't find another novel when I was looking for um, comps or comparison novels that had a protagonist with epilepsy. So I said, okay, I Guess I'll write it. Well, I want to dig into writing as therapy, but before I do, I want to go even further back in time. When did you first know or show signs that you were epileptic? Um, I had my first seizure when I was about 18 months old. So I had it with a fever. So it was called a febrile seizure, which is not uncommon for children or toddlers or babies. So just because you have one febrile seizure does not mean that you have epilepsy. And my mom was taking care of me in the nursery and she called my dad in when I started having a seizure. 
And my father was a doctor and a World War II medic. So you would think he'd know a little about emergency medicine. So he says to my mom, Yvonne, go get the gin and some towels. And my mom was British. And so she'd heard of giving brandy for shock, but she'd never heard of giving gin to a baby for seizures. But she ran and she got the gin and dad starts pouring it all over the towels and rubbing me down. And she says, Dave, what are you doing? And he says, it'll break the fever. And so finally, whether or not that's true, I don't know. But they go to the hospital, the ER, and he has to explain to all his colleagues that uh, his baby smells like gin because he rubbed it all over earth. And anyway, so they sent him home. And then I had a seizure a few months later. And then I was diagnosed. Got it. I thought maybe the gin was for him. I know. (laughs) No, that's what the brandy would be for. Right, right, right. All right. So you're in the hospital. You're keeping these journals. Um, yeah. going through two brain surgeries. First of all, I have to ask, because I just had a brain surgeon, literally it was a neurosurgeon on uh, earlier today talking about a book. But what's it like going through brain surgery? Well, it depends on the surgery. Uh, it's not, the recovery is not fun. Um, you're sort of asleep during the surgery. A surgeon made a joke that I didn't think was a joke. He said, well, your surgery will be eight hours long. For you, it will seem like a second. And I just looked at him like, really? Really? I'm about to go into the OR and have half my head shaved. But um, so the recovery is not fun. And the pre-surgical workup is not fun. The surgery itself, you know, you're asleep. But yeah, like each to the other parts. Yeah, doctors should really leave, you know, jokes to comedians, I think. And so, I think so. <laughs> not, not a place for, uh, not always a place for comedy. I get under, I get breaking tension maybe a little bit, but um, not when you're about to face something like that. Yeah, All right. definitely. So you keep these journals um, and then you decide to craft a, a book around them. Had you ever written anything long form like this before? Not outside of legal briefs. <laughs> I mean, some of the legal briefs that I wrote were uh, 30 plus pages, but I'd never written long form fiction. And writing legal briefs is extremely different from writing fiction. Yeah. It, I had to relearn how to write fiction. Yeah. I'd say out of about 200 and almost 70 episodes of Uncorking a Story, about 30 of them have been with lawyers who have become authors, which I, I find so interesting to see that connection between, you know, using skills because, you know, th- that's a field where, you know, written communication is extremely important. Um, but seeing how, how they, they leave it behind and become authors always, always kind, kind of fascinates me. How did you feel about writing fiction, kind of going from, you know, your you know, legal writing legalese, maybe to to writing fiction. How did it how did that feel to you at first? Well, I used to write fiction when I was younger, when I was, you know, growing up in high school. I was always I loved writing. Um, and so when I decided to write a book, I thought that I was a much better writer than I was. And so I took a couple workshops and I realized I had forgotten how to write fiction because to write Legally, the judge doesn't care what color, you know, the the plaintiff's eyes were. The judge doesn't care if it was windy or what have you. 
the judge wants to know where, when, and if the law was broken. And so I had to really relearn how to create an art, really how to how to write fiction. I think that that's probably pretty common with a lot of attorneys, whether they admit it or not. Sure. So how did you find these workshops? Uh, my first workshop, I had a friend who said, I'm writing a book. You should come to this writing workshop with me. And I said, well, that sounds like fun. And so I had some free time on my hands. And so I did. And it was just once a week. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll take what I've written a bit further. And I went to another workshop that I was accepted into. And I was, I should not have been accepted into this workshop. It was called Master's Fiction. And it was with a very like well-known studio. And I was the, let's say second to worst writer if we're giving out grades in the class. However, it's where I learned the most about how to write well and how to create something that will make the reader feel and will make the reader want to keep reading. And so then I went um, or I was accepted into the Yale Writers Workshop fiction over the summer and I went there and it was it was really great, very immersive, and we're still a very tight group. We meet once a month. And I would say out of the 10 of us, six are getting published or are in the process of, yeah, various processes of publishing. And so that was also a really strong group. And then after all those workshops, I just went on my own and started doing it. Yeah. I think, you know, a lot of people think about writing as this very solitary activity, which of course... It can be, but what a lot of people don't know is, you know, how much collaboration is involved in, um, in, in getting something published, right? Getting something in, into publishable form. So not necessarily coming up with a story, but just having feedback into, you know, into the manuscript. Um, and I'm sure getting feedback on, you know, how, how to describe a character. Or to add in like all imagery into your work was was helpful for you, you know. Having having not needed to do that for the judge, um, you certainly have to do that for readers. Definitely. And for example, after I found the publishers, the editor <laughs> the editor came back and said, "We need to change the beginning. We need to change the prologue. It can't be this. It has to be something different." And so the prologue is completely different from when the publisher picked it up. Um, so it's a very different book than when I started it in 2020. And that's been because of not only these workshops, but the edits I got back from the publisher, which were, I mean, that was a lot of work in itself. That, that was keeping me up weekends and, and evenings. I have a friend who has written a memoir and she she's you know hired independent editors to to kind of go through it and she's probably spent about three or four years on it and she's like i I'm, i think i'm finally done writing and i'm like oh no 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 once you find the publisher you're gonna have to go through all of this again and she's like i just can't do it i'm like well that's it, it's just it's the cost of doing it right it's just part of it it's they're going to have input into mm -hmm. what it is that they're going to publish for you Hundred percent. Yes, I'm sorry, but she's not done writing. Oh no, <laughs> and it's uh, it, you know, she she she's had a very hard life, so she's gonna have to relive all of it all over again. <laughs> you know, sorry, I should. No, no, no. It's um, 
it's uh, it is what it is. But let's talk about your book. So what can you share with us about Uncontrollable? So Uncontrollable is about a woman named Casey Scott, and she seems to have it all together. She has a booming career as a litigator. She has a loving husband, two children, but she also has epilepsy. And her doctor tells her that if she doesn't get her seizures under control, she'll probably die in the next few years. So now she's at a crossroads. Does she take a gamble, go through with her career, her lifelong aspirations, or does she deal with her health and her family? And the choice that she makes has long-lasting repercussions on her marriage, her health, her family that she never could have imagined. So it's really about what happens when the life that we thought we were going to live may not be available to us anymore. You know, you mentioned um, proper self-care, or I mentioned it in my introduction for you. Um, can you speak a little bit more about what proper self-care is and if it's congruent with being a civil litigator? Proper self-care for someone with epilepsy? Yeah. Um, so generally, <clears throat> each brain is different, but each person could probably name what are called triggers, what would make their brain have a seizure. So, for example, my triggers are, they, yeah, they do not work when you are a litigator. They are uh, stress, lack of sleep, um, being hungover, and, and litigators, you know, they tend to like to go to happy hour unless they have children, which I then did. So that was gone. So it was stress and lack of sleep, basically. And uh, it was not, you know, it's not congruent to having a life as a litigator. And I learned that in my second pregnancy when I went to see my neurologist after having a lot of seizures. And he said, I've talked to your OB. I've talked to your primary care and you should not be practicing litigation anymore. It's too stressful on you. It's too stressful on the baby. And we recommend that you not do it. And so I walked into that office of practicing litigator and I walked out knowing that I'd have to close my practice and give away all my cases. And that was very um, untethering, let's say, because a lot of my identity was wrapped up in my profession, right? Right, right. It's not like you're spending your day, you know, writing contracts. You know, the work you were doing was impacting people. Yes, yeah, exactly. I had, I mean, I was dealing with, you know, police who use excessive force on people of color. I was dealing with inmates who were raped in prison. You know, these were these were big cases with big issues. And now I was going to have to give all that up. And so it was very quick and it was very shocking. And yeah. So you had, you had to make this this Sophie's choice yourself. I mean, this is a situation where you know, art is imitating life, you know, what your character is going through and uncontrollable and, you know, not maybe not the exact same thing, but it, it seems like there's, if I'm looking at a Venn diagram, um, there, there's definitely an overlap there. Yes. Yeah, so part of the book is pure fiction and part of the book is what's called auto fiction, which is sort of an industry term that's short for autobiographical fiction, which doesn't make any sense, right? If it's autobiographical, it's true. If it's fiction, it's made up. But autofiction is the term that's used where a scene or a book is based on or expired by the author's lived experiences. And so it gives it a more authentic feel. So there are scenes, such as the medical scenes and some others, that are 
closer to my lived experiences. And then there are scenes that are pure fiction. So I know it's it's been probably a couple of years since you had to give up your your practice. Um, and of course, you're writing during that time. But did you have a plan B career-wise? Um, you know, because the, the, the massive paychecks from writing probably have not started to roll in just yet. Not yet. My, my younger son actually asked me, now that your book is published, when does the money start rolling in? He's eight. <laughs> yeah. And I looked at him. I said, yeah, let's just, we're going to put a pin in that. We'll come back to that later. Um, I didn't have a plan B. I, there was no plan B. I thought I was just going to practice law forever. So there was no plan B. Yeah. Yeah. Author was definitely not a plan B, but it was finally where I found myself and where I like been literally found myself. And so it's, I think, going to be a great career path for me. Right. Probably better than soaking yourself in gin. You know, because, of course, the hangovers, you wouldn't be good for you. So, no, no, definitely not. Well, I do want to ask you a couple of fun questions um, because I'd like to get to know my guests a little bit more through pop culture. So I'm curious, Sarah, when you were growing up, what were some of your favorite things to watch on TV? Oh, OK. That's how you meant pop culture now. Um, favorite things to watch. You mean, do you mean between the ages of like zero and 10 or 10? Yeah, like when you were a kid, what did you like to watch? Okay. When I was a kid, I didn't get to watch a lot of TV, but I did have Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, those were big in the 80s. And so it was like Care Bears, She-Ra, um, the Smurfs, whatever else, Thundercats. Yeah, all of those. Thundercats. I'm surprised they have not made a Thundercats movie yet. Oh, wow. That's that idea. Like, and like, after who, they're done with the Marvel, they'll probably move on. Maybe, maybe. You know, I don't know if it's if it's big enough, but I'm curious. Like, who should play Lionel if we were casting the Thundercats movie? Who would who would we cast as Lionel? I don't know. Uh, gosh, it would have to be someone who could be like really gritty and aggressive, and there's there's a lot that goes into that. Oh, can I get back to you? Absolutely. I'm thinking maybe like a Chris Pratt. I thought of him too, but then I wasn't sure that he but was. But maybe not gritty. You know? Yeah. I I'll don't get know. back to you. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back because I want to know <laughs> Chitara and Panthro as well. Uh, this is, just goes to show that we're probably around the same age. I think so. I, it was funny. My, my um, best friend, one of my best friends was in town for my, my twin brother got married last weekend. And we had a, a little party for him at my house on Saturday night. And we got onto the conversation of what, because I have three 21-year-olds at home, so I have triplets. And we're, we're telling them, like, we're trying to paint a picture of what Saturday morning meant back in the 80s. And, you know, and they're, they're like, we don't get it. And I'm like, okay, no, you, we, we woke up voluntarily very early in the morning, voluntarily, made ourselves huh? breakfast, and then sat in front of the TV to watch professional hours. wrestling and then six hours of cartoons. Like that's, that's exactly what it was. Um, they didn't get it. We did mention Thundercats. We did mention Thundercats. Um, what about music? What did you like to listen to growing up? Well, if we're talking late eighties, I mean, Paula Abdul, um, 
and KOTB, which if you don't know what that means, I can't help you right now. No, you had to have all but the pins sure on your jean jacket. In the, in the notes. <laughs> um, and then a little older Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and then a little older because I grew up in Texas, uh, Tim McGraw, Brooks and Dunn, Garth Brooks, Faith Hill, that kind of stuff. Those are great. Those are the greats. To me, that's like the, the, the best. I think of country music in different stages, and that stage was probably my favorite stage. Like, whatever they're playing now, because like, I listen to, you know, Sirius XM, The Highway. It's like, whatever they're playing now, I just can't get into. But yeah. some of that older stuff, I say older stuff, it's really not that old. But it makes me sad. Um, but yeah, I love Brooks and Dunn and um, Montgomery Gentry, too. That was just a sad oh, story. Yeah. But um, great, great hits there. Yeah. Great hits there. What did you learn about yourself during the writing process for Uncontrollable? I think I learned that I could probably do more than I thought I could. I was, you know, never quite sure if I'd be able to pull this off. I actually didn't tell anyone that I was writing a book. I didn't even tell my husband. I sat down at dinner one day. I think it was the February. And I said, I finished the first draft of my novel. And then he and the kids looked at me like, you're writing a novel? <laughs> and so I didn't tell anyone because I didn't know that I would be able to pull it off, get a publisher, all of that, make it official. And it turns out that I can and that I'm actually good, or at least a decent writer. Yeah. Well, I mean, just thinking about the journey you took, you know, all the workshops, finding an agent and publisher, um, you know, you're probably more than just a decent writer, I'd have to imagine. Yeah, actually, the early reviews, one of my huge fears was that it would come out and it would be uh, terrible. Um, but the early reviews were great. And I was shocked as they came in that I was very, very pleased. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, writers need encouragement. It's it's they like do. part of the, you know, it's part of the the thing, right? It's like, and I don't just mean validation. Although that's very important for me, um, it's, it's yeah. um, but just having a little bit of encouragement, like putting a little bit of wind in the sails, you know, it makes it feel like, you know, you're doing something worthwhile and that it's not just this self-indulgent activity. Right. A hundred percent. And it's been really helpful for the epilepsy community. I went and spoke at a nonprofit last week and. Everyone in there was connected to the epilepsy community and they were all just like so thankful for this book. So I thought that was that was pretty cool. Yeah. You know, it sounds like it's a really underserved segment in terms of, um, you know, being being recognized in the arts, if you will. Um, so oh, that's, yes, 100 yeah. percent. And so it was really really nice to write this book and have them embrace it and have it actually do well. So hopefully people outside the community will read it because it's not only about epilepsy. It's about marriage, um, work, expectations when you have a chronic condition, toxic workplaces, you know, just and then the overall what happens when your life doesn't go as planned. Yeah, that's that's the big question when your life doesn't go as planned. Yeah. Um, when you when you look back, how much, uh, if at all, do you miss being a litigator? It seems like it's it's been so long. I don't really miss it anymore. Um, 
I'm, I'm getting to do a lot of public speaking now, which I really liked that part. You know, I'm also getting to do a lot of writing, so I really liked that part. I I missed it a lot in the beginning. It was like someone had torn out a piece of my heart. But I think that by now, I've been able to refill that with something else. There you go. Is there a second book in the works? There is. Yeah, I uh, finished a manuscript, a young adult LGBTQ plus manuscript about a trans teen who has to move from Texas when it becomes unsafe for him to live here. And he moves to Portland, Oregon. And because he's had gender affirming care, no one can tell that he's trans. So he has this whole new lease on life, which is very uh, freeing. However, it's also very terrifying because he doesn't know how his new friends, how his love interests, how the general high school will react if and when they find out he's trans. Wow. Sounds uh, sounds exciting. Uh, another market there that could certainly use a little. Uh, and this is me using marketing terms. I'm sorry. Another <laughs> another group of people who uh, can certainly use some recognition uh, in the arts. Um, out of curiosity, you know, so this is your second book. I mean, you you just spoke about your second book. The difference in timelines between writing the first one and writing the second one. I'm curious if if the second one was a bit shorter took a took a shorter time to write it did i felt that i understood how to write a book how to pace it out you know how to make an art um how to make the characters interesting without being too heavy-handed so this one took about three months to get the first draft done but i was still working on uncontrollable so the first draft has kind of sat for several several months but now that i'm doing the promoting, I can get back to working on my second book. All right. Very good. Sarah, I imagine there's some people listening who might want to reach out to you or follow you on social media. Do you have a website or any social handles you want to share with us? I do. So my website is Sarah Staggs Writes, like writes a book, and it's Sarah without an H and Staggs with two Gs. So sarahstaggswrites.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram, I'm at Sarah Staggs Writes, and I'm on Twitter at Sarah Staggs. Very good. I'll be sure to include all of that in our show notes so no one who's driving in their cars have to stop and, and write it all down. Um, so look up for that in the show notes, everybody. And Sarah, I want to thank you for stopping by Uncorking a Story and letting me uncork yours. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Uncorking a Story. If you'd like more information about today's guest or to find out more about Mike, go to uncorkingastory.com. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate, and review us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Tune in every week to hear Mike Carlin uncork a new story.